This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. This is the part of the show where I do the introduction, and uh, Dan says I screw it up most of the time when we do it live. <laughs> so anyway, uh, welcome traders to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. This is the show where we talk about all things related to the markets, futures, forex, and trader psychology, usually with some of the best in the industry. But uh, today we're doing this episode in-house because from time to time we like to uh, bring in some of our talent from around the office and talk, and uh, Jeff is on vacation in the great north woods of Minnesota. Ah, very nice. I was yeah. just up that way a couple weeks ago, heading back in a couple weeks. Were you out there snowmobiling? I was out there snowmobiling. I'll be heading back up to snowmobile in a couple weeks and then doing it again in a few more weeks after that. Nice. Uh, you people out there, you might recognize the uh, mysterious snowmobiler uh, there <laughs> as having the voice of one Dan Hodgman. Dan is with us today. Hey, everybody. Hey, Jack. How's it going? It's going great. Just doing a little recording. And uh, we're also joined today by Mr. John Doherty, who is new to the Top Step family, but we already adore him. John, how you doing? Wonderful, Jack. Thanks for having me. John yeah. is uh, well known already on uh, a couple of our videos as the Dancing Bear. So uh, there's a little ode to John. I'll have to check that stuff out. You do have like a very uh, bear-like build. John's a big guy, big beard. I think it has to do with his opinion of the market, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stature. I thought it was a dancing. So this is the thing. I got to tune in. I was on the bus this morning, you know? Yeah. Discount the water weight. It was just a moniker that uh, Hogue gave me because of my, my early call this week, uh, which doesn't seem to be panning out so far. Oh, no. The market's at a new high today and probably will be tomorrow. Right. That's what? It's eight days this year alone of like 13 trading days. We're at all hot time highs. It's eight, unbelievable. Out of, eight out of 10 trading days so far this year. New unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Well, uh, what I thought we would do today is that we would break down some of the lessons that we've learned along the way. All three of us have had previous careers trading and still do trade. Yep. Um, I was thinking today we could talk about the lessons of highly effective traders. And by that, I mean people we've met along the way who are extremely successful in the trading industry. They tend to share certain habits, certain, um, what do you call it, characteristics? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, there's a certain type of person that is super successful in the markets. There's a few different types of people like that, but uh, I thought it might be interesting to share some of the similarities with our audience. I couldn't agree more. So, yeah, these are some things that you can emulate. You can take them and ignore them, but you should know they're there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. When you bring this up, there's one thought that really comes to mind for me. When I first started doing this, you know, everyone, you have this, or growing up, you have this belief, okay, I got to have my college education, maybe even get a master's. And you get down to the floor, you start meeting these traders, and you have everyone with mathematics degrees from MIT to like high school graduates um, that barely scrape by that are equally successful in this industry. And that's one of the first things I think is so important for a lot of people to realize what your background is coming into this doesn't matter as much as the processes that you go through, the disciplines that you maintain, and your understanding and desire to know the market. And that's one of the constant similarities I've always seen with anyone successful. It's that drive to know more about the market, the drive to be better at managing the risk and understanding those high probability trades that they're taking that works over time. Yeah, the life of a trader is certainly, uh, it follows the arc more of an entrepreneur. 
it's a very boomer bust type attitude. And there's no, as you said, security of, you know, become a management consultant or become a lawyer if you want a more stable progression through the ranks where you do your two years as an associate and then you go to business school, you come back as a different level. That doesn't exist in the markets. Not at all. You know, it's you mentioned being a lawyer. My younger sister's an attorney and it's all based off of how many years you've been doing it. And so that, you know, right now, she, you know, someone will say, okay, I'm looking for a third year. Well, she's been a lawyer for an attorney for three years. So that's the position that she kind of has, she has to fill. Whereas traders, I don't care how long you've been doing this. If you've been successful, you have a proven track record. That's what matters. I agree 100% with that. The trader's work ethic goes above anything else. I've heard it said a hundred times before, it doesn't matter how rich or smart a man is, you're never going to outwork me, and that's why I'm always going to be better. Uh, there's a great old YouTube video of Charlie D. Francesca, who's a famous bond trader. I'm sure most of you heard mm-hmm. of Charlie D. Uh, he gave a seminar to new traders at Chicago Board of Trade back in the late 80s, and he would tell stories about when he got his first membership uh, the bond pit was so big and they were squeezing there so tight. If you didn't get there early, you didn't get a spot in the pit. And he would, he and his brother would show up at midnight. They'd sleep on the rail. Seven o'clock when everybody started piling in again, one of his, his brother would run and get coffee for the two of them. And they would literally sit in the pit all night uh, just because they needed that special spot in the pit. That's the type of work ethic successful traders have. Yeah. In fact, you guys already nailed. I uh, brainstormed a list before I came in here. And the number one thing I associated with the super successful traders I knew is I wrote bullet point ultra compulsive commitment that often goes beyond what I would call healthy. But the people that I knew who were really killing it, they were the people that were in there on Thanksgiving night. They were the people that were in there all the time. They were in there earlier. They traded the Europe stuff. Uh, That's just what they were. And that's what they did. Um, and we'll call that a good appetizer to our conversation because I wanted to do one thing before we dove into all these attributes, and that is uh, give a little money away. You guys like money? Yeah, can I have some? <laughs> well, you would if you're on the list. So we just wanted to announce the last uh, five winners of our listener survey uh, raffle. And uh, I'm going to do that right now. But once again, I can't give away. I'm not going to dox you on your email address. So I'm going to try and uh, kind of beat around the bush a little bit. So thank you for everyone for doing this. Uh, We'll be releasing some of the results of that probably at the end of this episode. Some super interesting stuff we learn. But first, the people that won the $100 Amazon gift cards this week, we have Cubes. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The trader known as Cubes. I'll be emailing you all. But uh, yeah, if you're Cubes or Cubes is in your email, you're one of the first winners. Dan, you want to read that second one there? Yeah, the second one looks like it's a, a guy named Dan from Top Step. Does that look right? <laughs> oh, Dan at Top Step Trader? <laughs> yeah, I know that asshole. <laughs> no, no, that's not it. Um, it looks like Thomas, who's a big fan of the number two, which, Thomas, that's my favorite number as well. Thomas, two. All right. John, what do you got in the third spot there? Coming in at a hot number three is Albert S. Oh, Albert S. We know Albert S. well. Uh, Dan, you know Albert? I do. Yeah, he's a big-time contributor on the blog. Uh, it'll be fun to email him and give him some money. So who do you got in the fourth spot there? All right. We've got a gentleman or a female lady, uh, listener going by Soto. Soto, you want a hundred bucks. hundred bucks for the Soto. Woo-hoo. All right. Woohoo. And then at number five, oh, oh dear. Uh, well, I'll be, it's, uh, 
Alpac. <laughs> we'll go with Alpac. Uh, I'll email you Alpac, and uh, you can tell me if I totally mispronounced that name. So uh, there you have it. Those are our five winners. Once again, uh, Alex R. from last week uh, likes a certain city on the eastern seaboard. Uh, your email bounced when I uh, sent it. So there's $100 into Ether for you. And um, if I don't get in touch with you, I'm just going to have to pick someone else. So get back to us, all right? We work hard here, guys. Feel free to send us lunch with that money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lunches are always appreciated. All right, so diving back into our habits of highly successful, our Uber traders, so to speak. We started with they are super compulsive in their commitment. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm i very fortunate. My first mentor and kind of been my mentor since day one has been, uh, been my father. Very strict in the way he traded. Everything about him was extremely methodical and... uh his one thing in when he actually left trading and he retired after 30 years, he got a call from his clearing firm and said he was the first ever trader they've ever had that never had a losing month in their entire career. The guy was extremely good at what he did. And I was so fortunate to be able to learn from this from him. And he had a couple of things that he always ingrained in us since we were kids, whether you're trading or anything you do in life. Number one, you hear a lot of stories about traders that you know, they hit the bar at noon and go play golf and, you know, shorter hours and keeping things simple. My dad was one of the first guys in the pit every morning, one of the last guys to leave every single day. He waited. He was there from bell to bell. He would get home from work. He was always on the phone, making sure, understanding where the market's at, what's his position at, to the point where some of my first words as a kid, I used to walk around when I was like three or four years old. And anytime the phone would ring, I'd grab my hand, I'd put it up to my face and go, yeah, this is Dan Hodge from Winter Bonds. Those were some of the first words I ever learned just because he was so determined in understanding and knowing what the market was doing. And it carried over to, carried over to me as just, that was what you had to do. When I started meeting traders that, you know, work three hours a day, make a few grand, then go hit the golf club. I thought it was so strange. I was like, but you're not supposed to do this. Dad said, you got to be here from bell to bell. And that was always my mentality growing up. Yeah. And I think it helps that the people that are in this mindset, they tend to love it. And I think that when you look hard at yourself, there's a lot of people who like the idea of being a trader and like the idea of making the money and things like that. But only you know if you actually love what you're doing. And if you don't like what you're doing, you're not going to find a lot of success, I don't think. Right. As soon as it stops being enjoyable, that's got to be the point where you have to step away and go, okay, is this really what I want to be doing? Am I going to be successful if I don't really love what I'm doing in these? Because it is one of the most stressful jobs to have. You lose a lot of hair. You lose yeah. a lot of sleep. There's a lot on the line when you're doing this. And if you're not 100% invested, you need to stop. Adjust your priorities. Ask yourself, do I need to be here? Do I want to be here? And if not, then maybe it's not going to be the right profession for you. Yeah, it's definitely not worth the uh, blood pressure spikes. Absolutely right? like, not. There's a lot of different careers you could have that are genuinely probably more rewarding if you're into other things, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely ways to do that. And we talked about another point earlier. I think this is an important one. Uh, we discussed it today in the Coach's Playbook. Is that something I've noticed about the su successful traders is that they uh, are people that put process ahead of the profits. Gosh, I love that saying. It's like I say that all the time, process over profits. Yeah, this is our mantra. Uh, John, you've, this ring true to you? 100%. I do agree with that. I think it's a key point. I think having a plan, sticking to it uh, in the long run, it'll always pay off. 
Yeah. I shouldn't say will always pay off, but you will do far better than somebody who is undisciplined just going out there swinging. Yeah, it'll pay off a percentage of the time that will statistically put you ahead in the long run. Absolutely. If you're following a structured process and being consistent within that, I think that's also the important thing to add into that, being consistent with that process. The profits are going to come. And as long as you can be realistic and understanding that we're going to lose money, we're going to make money, we're not going to get paid every week or every two weeks. It's not always the case. Um, But if you can be consistent in that process, those profits are going to show up. You can't expect them in the beginning, but over time, they will start to ring true and uh, you know, you'll know you start getting paid out for that. Yeah. The example I mentioned today is that the best traders that I worked with were people that completely closed their P&L monitor and were trading completely on what the process was. They wouldn't look at how much they were up or how much they were down. And consequently, that led them to follow their process regardless of where they were. They were always trying to make the best decision and were not influenced by how much they were up or down on the day because that can put you in a weird mindset. You know, these would be people that would be up more money. They'd be up an amount of money that I'd be looking at and say, I'd be taking some off here. I'd be putting taking some off the table because if I look at that number, I can't help but to think about it. In certain terms, I can't help but think about it like, you know, name what your product is there. If you're up a blender or a Mercedes, right? you know, same process, but really that shouldn't affect what your decision is there. I'll give a great example of this. I remember one of my biggest days ever trading during the day, I was up a fairly handsome sum amount of money. Several blenders. Several blenders. Um, it was, I mean, it was exhilarating. And I wasn't, I've never, I've said it before. I never really paid attention to my PL to the point where most of the time we weren't running PL until the very end of day, but I knew how much I was up. I was doing really, really well. And risk manager for our firm came over to me and said, Hey, Dan, what do you think about um, shutting down? Let someone manage your position. You get out of here for the day. I was like, no, I'm feeling really good. I don't want to walk away. And I turned one of my biggest trading days into a standard positive day for me. And yeah, I walked away making money. It was one of the biggest psychological blows I've ever had knowing how much money I had that I gave away. And finally, I had to have someone literally say, shut down and go home. It was totally fine. I still had a profitable day, but I gave back so much money. I gave back several blenders and I only got a few blenders on the day. Yeah, right. Um, That stuck with me for a while. I ended up taking uh, some time off and had to reassess, remember why I was doing what I was doing, and uh, I had to step away. My story goes the complete opposite way. My first job trading, uh, I was given a thousand a day loss limit, and I had that PL and its own monitor staring me right in the face. <laughs> sure. And every time I put a trade on, I wouldn't watch the market. I would just watch that thing tick from between green and red, you know. Oh. Just keep going back and forth for a couple minutes, and I would spike red and I'd puke. And, uh, you know, a second later, came right back to where I should have gotten out for a profit. Uh, But that is literally one of the hardest lessons a trader will learn is the P&L on your screen is more, it's it's a distraction. That is all it is. Uh, It'll take you out of your game. It'll make you do something you don't want to do, make you do something you shouldn't do. It'll take you out of the market when you should be in the market. You should never look at your P&L throughout the day. Yeah, the, the people, one standard thing, like we're talking about successful traders, but one of the things I noticed of people that kind of like uh, bailed out the quickest, that kind of washed out of trading real quick, was that 
and this is not a slight against them as people or anything else, but they just could not handle, they could not think rationally while being down money, right? They could not be down money and think about anything besides like, I need to get out of this right now. Changes your entire mindset because the only way to get the money back is to be in the market. So you just start pulling the trigger, slinging away, clicking that mouse. You have no idea what you're doing. You're just arbitrarily, I'm buying them here, I'm selling them here. And all you're doing is trying to make that money back. And it's a, it's a horrible, it's horrible, a, it's a horrible way to yeah. trade. Oh, absolutely. I, it, it reminds me there's, you, you always knew some of the traders they were pretty vocal guys. You always knew when they were up money, they were very vocal about it. And, uh, they had no problem telling you where they were long from or where they're short from. And they're taking the whole move and you'd see that. And then all of a sudden they'd start to get really quiet and you know that all that's running through their head is not trading their process, but now they're trading their P&L because they're thinking how much money they're down. And they're thinking, I've got to make this back. And you could see it all the time. And those were the guys that just never lasted. If they were quick to tell you when they were, you know, bonds are moving two handles in a given day and they're long from the bottom or or short at the top, they're very quick to tell you. And uh, when they're quiet and we get you have one of those big moves, you always knew that guy was probably having a rough day. And uh, chances are it wasn't going to have much longer in the industry. If I told you how many times I bought the low and sold the high and still lost money that day, you would probably never listen to another word I said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but we'll listen to you, John. It's all right. Yeah. I wanted to like toss the next couple observations I had together because they're kind of more into the way uh, these people traded. So people that I saw have a lot of success, all right? They were people that would add and hold when things were going right. They would also size up and size down efficiently based on their performance and what the market was giving them. And they were also less phased than most people by losses that I would call smart. And by a smart loss, I mean, no one's perfect. You're going to have losses. Not every trade is going to be a winner. But if they followed their process, these were people that could deal with that without having a complete breakdown or changing things, right? It leads into ego. Yeah. Some people believe that they're so smart and refuse to accept when they're wrong. That's when they pull out the cannon. They call it cannonballing. Cannonballing, like, yeah. If I like them at six, if I like buying them at six, I love them at four. And if I love them at four, I'm buying all the twos you got. And if I'm buying all the twos you got, <laughs> I can't stop it even. I got to keep going. Yeah, we call that the power fade. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, what was the last point you made there, Jack? I'm having a brain fart here, but I really liked it. Oh, about being uh, not phased the way normal people are by yes. losses or smart losses. Yeah, and you know what chances are? Those types of traders, they've had the big losses. They understand them and they recognize that it, it all comes down to the fact that they're realistic in trading. Trading is... It's 50-50, you know, and as an outright trader, you're 50-50, long or short, you're going to make money, you're going to lose money. And it's a matter of understanding that over time, they have a, probably that strong statistic that says, I'm going to lose 42% of my trades. And they categorize when a market goes against them, they have a point where they say, okay, that market's gone against this trade. Let's puke this one, get it out of here. Because you know what? That was one of the 42%. I got some 58%ers coming. And they recognize that very quickly that the profits are going to be there, but not always going to be the case. So you can't put up too much risk to miss that next chance. Right. And you can only trust those uh, statistics if you ardently follow your process and track it, right? 100%. You know, the, the normal person, what separates the people that, you know, I hate, 
I'm trying to keep people's like mood up here, so I'm not trying to say things like bad traders. But uh, the difference between good traders and bad traders <laughs> is that uh, the bad traders, I feel like, don't know why. They don't have a system. So there's no reason for them to have confidence after that bad loss to change anything or like to expect anything different in the future. Right. And that good trader is taking responsibility for those losses. They're owning them and saying, look, I had a bad entry or I got slippage and it caused me to lose more money. I have to recover from this in the proper form. Whereas going to the concept of the bad trader, the bad trader is very usually looking at it from a different perspective. Instead of going, ah, you know what? That was a bad entry of they're going to go you know what? That entry was great. They were, someone was hunting my targets or someone knew where I was in and they were looking yeah, to get anyone me stopped yourself. out. They don't take that responsibility and take the blame. You got to put that blame on yourself and own who you are as a trader, own your trades because no one else is executing them for you. You're executing them yourself. I see that as a big problem. Abandoning your system after a few losses and just shooting from the hip. And that's, how bad traders lose money. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and no one loves bad. It doesn't matter what you're doing, if it's trading or fantasy football or poker. You got to tell one hell of a bad beat story for me to care. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, you get with people, uh, you'll, be, you'll hear people who have a bad beat story every day of the week. Well, at that point, it's not bad. It's just the status quo. <laughs> it is US. If you go in every day and it's like, ah, oh, you know, oh, crap, the market's, uh, you know, eating me up because, you know, whatever it is, you know, well, Goldman knows what's happening. Right. Uh, you know, okay. I don't know what to tell you. That's the status quo now. <laughs> right. It's like a guy who plays blackjack and they get 18 and every time they get 18, they hit on 18 and they end up busting and they lose every single time. If a trader is coming in and making those same mistakes each and every day, instead of being like, you have to look at them just like you look at that blackjack playing trick. You're an idiot. You don't hit on 18. Or if someone's struggling in their trading, you go, look, you're up money, $1,000 each and every day, and you end up down 500 You don't give up your profits. Yeah. This brings me to actually an important bullet point here because now I want to talk about risk because your card story reminded me something. Like a disproportionate amount of the very successful traders I knew came from the world of professional or semi-professional poker and brought that very objective mindset and statistical mindset and ability to know you're going to lose a certain percent of time. They brought that there to the trading world and they tended to be very level headed about losses. Right. And then a second thing is because these are people that were risk seeking is they tended, this is a for better or worse thing. They tend to live their life by that. And here's some examples that I put down of things that would like actually happen. These are people that would refuse to like do tax withholding for like the money they made at work because they would logically think that they could get returned somewhere else with it. These are people that I worked with a person who refused to have health insurance. One of the best traders I knew made a lot of money each year, would not have been that much a dent, but he just because the health insurance companies have edge on you by definition, he refused to do it. And his attitude was, if I get hit by a car and I'm in a coma, I'm not going to care. It's, this is an insane attitude. What I'm trying to show is that like some of the things we glorify in traders, like I'm just telling you the truth of what I've seen, may not necessarily be the best uh, for your interpersonal relationships or life, but it's just something I've noticed. Absolutely. I think the transition, I've seen a lot of professional traders turn to professional uh, gambling and vice versa. 
um, because they are very correlated in the mental discipline. But it is all too often that so many traders come from a background of a nine to five job, getting paid a salary or an hourly wage. Um, that's where you're going to struggle because you've ingrained this and, and there's nothing wrong with it. We've just ingrained that I'm going to get paid on the 1st and 15th of every month, or I'm getting paid every single Friday. That becomes so natural. You look at your bank account, Monday, the morning of the 15th, okay, my paycheck hit, good, I can go spend more money. Um, trading's not that way. And so it's frightening when you're not getting paid on a regular basis. Sure, I know traders yeah. that were getting paid, some would get paid quarterly, some would get paid uh, semi-annually, some would just get a, maybe a monthly tidbit and then they'd get the big check uh, you know uh, in July and in December everyone was a little bit different but you have to recognize that coming into this yeah john you ever play cards i love playing poker i love playing blackjack yeah any good at it not really you want to play <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like i never really got into i'm kind of of the age where a ton of people were playing online poker i missed that portion of it i knew a lot of people that were of course, when there was like the heyday of uh, Texas Hold'em what was when I was in high school and that was before you could go to bars or anything. So you'd have poker night and eat a bunch of wings. It was a very wholesome American evening. Yeah, we used to uh, smoke cigars, play a bunch of poker in um, my parents' garage. Is there anything funnier than like a group of like 16-year-olds <laughs> smoking a cigar and playing cards in a garage? That's... That, was a, that was a standard Saturday night in high school. Oh, well, how about how much the world's changed? <laughs> now everyone's on TikTok. Yeah. Hey, John, you use TikTok? I don't. But I'll tell you, that, that Saturday night when you were 16, it sounds like a good Saturday night right now to me. Oh, my gosh. They're spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we talked about some of the objective stuff, some of the card things. Um, just to get out there, I had one other thing just so we're not – I feel like sometimes you can fall in the like, aspirational talk about trading where – I wanted to kind of just give specific examples that are positive or negative about some of the attitudes that I've seen. I talked to John about this before we started, but um, I'm coming in blind, apparently. Oh no, no, this is just this is <laughs> something I've noticed because this is my chance to run down my list and uh, unload my ammo. Here is I've noticed that people are super successful at trading. They're sometimes uh, hustlers. You know what I mean? Like they're like I mean in the other aspects of life, there are people that. Uh, Always looking for a good deal. Always looking for a deal. Always looking to play a scheme. You know, I think it's something that, especially if you, if you know, work for a bigger prop firm and stuff, um, I think that there are people that always, and there's nothing like, I want to make clear, there's nothing like illegal or even like ethically wrong with some of this, but there are people that are trying to, uh, shall I say, not completely internalize the amount of risk they are taking in positions. Well, I think it's pretty natural. There's, as a trader, you're trained to find low-risk opportunities, looking for, you hear us say all the time, look for a cheap entry. It's the same thing that carries over into their everyday life. You know, if they're trying to make a deal, they're looking to get it as cheap as possible to minimize their risk as much as possible. Um, it it kind of, the lessons learned in trading carry over into that life lifestyle. And then, you know, you think about it, they're uber successful and how do rich people stay rich? They don't spend their money. You know, yeah. they're they're frugal about how they spend their money. Yeah. And you you tend not to see this as much in like brokerage accounts because you're on the line for all that. But it's more when you get into like, you know, the prop world and stuff like that is if someone develops a strategy where, you know, once out of every thousand trading days, they're going to lose $2 million. You might have a lot of success before that day comes. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a, definitely a big difference when you're working in the prop firm versus uh, working in your own brokerage account. One being when uh, you know the team's got a big day, you come in the next morning and your keyboard's kind of tilted up because there's a little envelope under there with a nice little weekend starter or something, you know, a little extra couple bucks to make the weekend a little bit more fun, whatever the case may be. That was uh, always one of my favorite things. Oh, man, after. I was working at the wrong place. Oh, yeah. That was the best part. Smaller prop firm, uh, when the team did well, the bosses would uh, either stay late or show up in the morning and everyone get a little envelope of uh, some Benjamins underneath their keyboard. And you'd come in and you'd see the keyboard kind of tilted up and uh, everyone get all excited. And that uh, was always fun on a Friday morning to come into. John, is this best practices? Is this something that, uh, from your experience? I never heard of anything like this ever happening before. <laughs> no, you poor guys. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> team outings were a big thing. Morale was key. Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. Team outings are great. We did that. Sure. <laughs> uh, I never got a, an envelope stuffed with cash, so I would have welcomed that more than a Cubs game, being a White Sox fan. Uh, yeah, I was at the wrong spot, too, apparently. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so that's one. Here's a positive of the people that I knew that were doing it is, and this is a double-edged sword though too, is uh, confidence. They tend to be people that had a large amount of confidence in what they were doing. So I think that's a great point. And I think where it can be the double-edged sword is where confidence goes from confidence to cocky. Mm -hmm. If you're confident in your system, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong as long as you're profitable. Having that mentality, like, hey, I'm confident in my system. My bias says, you know, if you're John over here, your bias says you want to sell equities at all-time highs by all means, um, but doesn't mean that's what you have to do because your process is saying something else. Your strategy is saying to do to buy the dips instead of, you know, selling the highs, you're buying those dips. And so there's a confidence in your system. And if you can be confident in your system, you can be successful. It's when you become cocky and saying, look, I'm right. And the market's going to go this direction, so deal with it. Yeah, hubris. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I think, too, with the confidence, to put a positive spin as well, what that confidence allows you to do, and this is maybe the biggest difference I've noticed with the people that were really killing it, is that it allows you to be a leader in what you're doing and not following what other people do. Like, there's no uh, pressure to follow the herd when you're the person that's doing well, Right. So they don't fall into the same traps as everyone else because as people know out there, you know, 90% of the people can't trade futures profitably. So if you're doing what other people are going to do, you know, that's not going to work. Absolutely. You got to be a trendsetter. Yeah. You got you to gotta pave your own path. You know, that's why I always have a hard time when I hear people talking about getting into a trade room and listening to trade calls. They may be a great trader. They may even be very successful at it and they part of that 10%, but it's that matter of appetite for risk. Yours is going to be a heck of a lot different than theirs. If you're in a room like that, they probably have to be there to make and execute trades because that's the guarantee for being in a room like that. If you can be confident in your system, those things are even better because you get learning lessons on them, but you don't have to do everything that they're doing. Find ways to make it work for yourself. Yeah. It's like what they tell pitchers in baseball, how you just have to, you have to throw. You can't be aiming, right? You just mm -hmm. got to throw and let it loose. And I think that, you know, for instance, when I, I was trading, I was in a group, so you'd have multiple people and they'd be on your P&L monitor. So you could see other people's uh, position. And there is a big uh, thing that nags at you that wants you to follow what other people are doing because you don't want to be left out. It's that FOMO and that FOMO will kill you. I can't tell you how many times if there was like 
nine people on the PL monitor. This uh, I'm thinking of one person in, in specifically who I used to trade with would be up a ton of money, and everyone else would just be in the toilet, <laughs> just completely wrecked because no one wanted to miss out. It would, it would start with one knucklehead putting on some trade. And then they'd have to start accumulating a position that would be like, well, I don't want to miss it if this works out. That's not the way you can think. Not at all. Never made a penny piggybacking another trader. You should always have a reason. You should always have your own reason for being in a trade. Yeah, if you can't say why you're in a trade, then you know, don't be there. Absolutely. That was always when I first started just paper trading. The Everything I would do is I'd get, I'd get three whys. So someone, whoever was, I was, you know, the mentors that I was working with, well, why'd you make that trade? And I'd say Okay, but why is that important? And I would explain that. And then they'd follow up with, okay, so now why did you make that trade? And it, I always got the three whys, and that's carried over to everything I do now. Every time I execute a trade, I ask myself, why, why, why? And uh, for me, it's helped kind of create a little bit of a, a barrier because there are times, you know, I'll see that momentum start going and, gosh, I want to be a part of it. Here come new highs again or something like that. And um, instead of execute, jumping in, I'll ask myself, okay, why am I getting in here? And then I start looking at the bigger picture. Okay, well, I'm in the center of the range. Why do I want to be in the center of a range right now? This thing can turn around really quickly or I'm up at some resistance. Well, first, I got to see if it can get through this resistance before I go ahead and just dive on in because, hey, maybe the market's been ranging for the last three days. I should stay inside instead of break, looking for another breakout. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go full on uh, philosophical like I'm the Buddha or something here. I'm going to say, uh, if you don't know why you're anywhere, don't be there. You know, if you can't answer why you are somewhere, do something else. That's a fair point. Do you right. really need that 12th beer yeah, at yeah, 11 yeah. o'clock on a Wednesday? Well, yeah, because you, you got to finish off the 12-pack the so you can open the next 12. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's just uh, good environmentally conscious. Uh, right. Save room recycle. in the fridge. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. So like, anyway, obviously, guys, we could talk about these for hours, if it were. But uh, – Here's a little segue right here. Uh, one of the things we learned from the listener survey is that one of the things people were not the biggest fans about the show was the length. All and right. I, yeah. And I realize now, I think they probably mean that it goes too long occasionally. I don't think they mean too short. I suppose, you know, the, the answer choice was just length. So maybe they want some three-hour just epic. Hey, I listen to a lot of three- to six-hour podcasts on a regular basis. So like hardcore history? No. A lot of military stuff. Oh, yeah, that's good. I can't get enough of Joe Rogan lately. Are those three hours long? Joe Rogan, three between, hours. Between two, three hours. I listened to Jocko. Shout out Jocko. Um, about six, seven hour podcast that he's got. Yeah, and like Joe Rogan, if you want to give us a shout out back to the Limit Up <laughs> podcast, we'd uh, we'd really appreciate it. But, uh, you know, two of the other things, as long as I have you guys here, might as well just discuss these before we head out. Uh, two of the other things that they want is that um, – Here's a real shocker. Something like 80% of the people responded. They listened to this show so that they could become a better trader. Oh, that's good. Should we start over? Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of like, uh, you know, was a little bit of a shot to the ego because uh, I think it was like 4% said for entertainment. <laughs> but we're hilarious. Yeah, that's what I thought, like, that they were listening for, like, the comic styling of things like that. So get, we'll become very monotone. Yeah, we'll very do simple. It'd be very like PBS NewsHour. Hello, welcome to the Limit Up Podcast. <laughs> I'm your host. <laughs> um, but how we can do that, they said the thing that they want to learn the most about, and I was actually uh, a little bit surprised by this, is trading psychology was the biggest thing that they want help with. I would love to, if you guys want to leave some reviews and kind of 
give a little more information on what you mean by this psychology. I think there's so much that can, you know, happen there. We can, we could get very broad with it or we can get very uh, pointed with some of the conversations that we had, you know, is it discipline? Is it just the overall emotions? So there's so many different ways. I'd be curious to, uh, yeah, because delve sec- into that more. second and third, and this is where I, what I thought would be more. It was, I believe second was trading education and third was trading tactics. Maybe those are combined more. Um, I find sometimes it's a little bit difficult just because this is recorded ahead of times. It's hard for us to talk about just actionable market things in the middle of the day. Like if I tell you right – well, I can tell you with 100% certainty the market will be higher tomorrow. But but, uh, besides that, it's a little bit difficult. But if you guys want, we can look more into um, trading strategies, indicators, uh, beginning stuff. That's all stuff that can be done. Sure. Absolutely. I'd love to uh, come in and – Share some of my favorite trade setups. So I'll predefine risk. Uh, yeah, we can do stuff like that. It'd be great. Absolutely. So yeah, as always, we are here uh, for you. That's what our goal. Like our goal is to be the podcast that just does what you guys want to hear. So uh, anyway, for now, uh, as I said, we could go on with the habits of highly performing traders for a long time. We might in another episode, but. Um, yeah, I hope you guys were able to glean something from this at least. But these are important things, and you can emulate them, but like beware of some of them too, because they're not all positives. Like I would not, if I had a Venn diagram of uh, the most successful traders I know and like the best people I know, uh, it, it's not one circle. There's a little <laughs> bit of separation, you know, like that. You know, I know some great guys that are su- successful traders, but it cuts both ways sometimes. Absolutely. So you got to, you know, stay humble, watch yourself. Those are all important things. So uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another interview between someone big in the industry and Jeff. Uh, but in the meantime, Dan, thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. John D., welcome. And oh. thanks for stopping by as well. Thanks. This was great. Uh, I'm looking forward to our next session. Yeah. Sorry I got you guys... Uh, sharing a microphone like a Bruce Springsteen concert over there. (laughs) But uh, we have a new uh, interface coming, so when we do these panel episodes, it'll be easier. Perfect. So in the meantime, uh, everyone, look at our blog. uh, Join our private Facebook group. That's a lot of fun. Go check out all our live videos on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Dan's our video maven. Go check those out at uh, Top Step Trader on YouTube. We're trying to make some educational content there. Um, But in the meantime, this is coming out on Thursday, so have a wonderful weekend. Uh, I'm Jack Pelzer signing off, and as we always say at the end of the episodes, namaste and trade well. This episode produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.